Will you bow your heads with me? Oh, holy God, we come to you this morning, and we are here to hear from you. And I confess, God, that there is a whole host of reasons why we may not be able to clearly identify your voice, and I am, I am one of the primary obstacles. And so, God, I am begging you as the speaking God, as a God who loves to draw near to your people. We are asking that you would speak, that you would move in our hearts, that we would feel your pursuit, God, in a really tangible way. And so, Holy Spirit, we understand that there is power there's power when your people gather. There's power when your word is, is read and spoken about. And so help us not miss it today. Everything that will be read, everything that will be spoken will fall on deaf ears without you, Holy Spirit. And so please speak, God. Your servants are listening. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, good morning, Seven Mile Road. I need to start off this sermon uh, with a confession, I'm gonna show you an image of my family, which is a really sweet image. This is a picture of our family on Christmas morning. And we've got matching pajamas, that's true. Uh, you, you don't have to contain your laughter about that. We, uh, it's the first year that we're celebrating with our son. He's 15 months old. This is kind of the first moment where he's experiencing things and understanding, oh, this is, this is kind of fun. We read a liturgy, we open presents, all the things, matching pajamas, like I said. And uh, Christmas tree, there you go. The next image, though, is a picture from yesterday. <laughs> that is our tree, still there. And my wife has been repeatedly telling me, uh, that thing needs to go. When are you, you going to do that? And my response almost always is, tomorrow feels like a great day. <laughs> tomorrow feels like a really good one. There's a lot going on today. What about tomorrow? Uh, and so as you can understand with me, it's almost the end of February. It's been a little while. That has been my response. And as you might imagine, has caused a small bit of relational strain. Uh, at best, it's a lack of trust, right? Like I've, I said, I would do this thing. I haven't done it for a while. There's this baggage that happens that like immediately enters our conversation when the tree gets brought up again. And so um, I'm gonna work on that later today. <laughs> As we work through the book of Hebrews, though, back to why we're here, um, we have journeyed through this incredible preacher who's, the entirety of the book of Hebrews is a sermon, and he's taken us to heaven's heights and said, hey, look at Jesus, high and holy above any angelic being there ever was. Last week, he brought us down to like the dust on the ground and said, yeah, but also Jesus is more human than you know. He has suffered through temptations like you haven't even dreamed of. Every single one that you've, you've ever waded through, he's gone through, he's that human. This week, we come to a place where the author of Hebrews is, is going to warn us with an invitation baked in. Like, I know that I'm bringing you close to say that Jesus is really high and holy above all the angels, and he's really lowly human like you've never believed, and I need you to hear me say this. You, human in the room with a human heart, you have a propensity to allow your heart to drift more distant and cold toward God. It's actually how your heart is wired. And that will remain the case. That will always be the destination of your heart, more distant and cold toward God, if it's always tomorrow and never today. If it's always tomorrow and never today, your heart will do what it's 
designed to do, driven to do. It will drift and drift and drift more distant and cold if it's always tomorrow and never today. And so the invitation from this passage this morning is, will you listen to his voice? Will you hear him today? Because that's what we all need. How are we feeling? You already dive in? Okay, let's look at verse one, chapter three. It says this, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him. I wanna pause here. So the introduction of chapter three is you in the room, Christian. If you have counted yourself as one with Jesus, you have a new identity and that is holy. Did you know that? Jesus who is holy, if you are with him, relationally connected to him, all of a sudden there is a set apart nature that is true of you now. And so he's speaking directly to the Christians in the room and saying, hey, guess what, holy brothers and sisters, you not only have a new identity in Jesus, you have a heavenly call in Jesus. You see, Jesus has made you holy, set apart because of what he's done for you, and he has a heavenly calling to be an apostle and a high priest, and guess what, that calling is now yours, you in the room, if you are in Christ. What does it mean to be an apostle? What does it mean to be a high priest? It means that you are sent by God. That's an apostle is. Simply put, you're sent by God, and a high priest or a priest simply mediates. You are a bridge between sinful people and a holy God. Guess what, Christian in the room, did you know that that's your new activity? If you are with Jesus, if you are relationally tethered to him, you have not just a new identity, but you have a heavenly activity to participate in. And then he says, now step one, to, to guard your heart from drifting distant and cold, it's consider him. Consider him, seems simple enough. That word for consider means to think deeply about to study literally from top to bottom. The Latin word that is derived from the word consider is the word for stars. And the reason that that is is because the invitation of the author of Hebrews is put on your astronomer's cap. Like I want you to study for 10 plus years only to study the stars above. Like I want you to really get motivated about that mysterious, like never ending expanse above you. Study that. It reminds me of the fact that that there are hundreds of thousands of astronomers and astrophysicists that when the James Webb Telescope came out back with more clear images than we've ever seen before of our known universe, it, it was astounding. It was images like this. This comparison of what we used to have to like, this is actually what's closer to reality. It's stunning. And if you're like me, now you follow NASA on Instagram and you're just like, this is incredible. He just keeps going like, this can't be real. This looks like something out of a movie. And I loved more than that watching YouTube videos of astronomers and astrophysicists responding for the very first time to seeing these images. They literally burst into tears. Because can you imagine studying the stars for over 10 years just to start researching the stars? And then you see these sorts of images come up when you've been studying those. And do you feel the weight of awe and wonder that would fill up a heart of a person that's like, I'm all about this, and now I see it just a little clearer. And to consider Jesus is to do this every single day, to be able to zoom into his character and see like, oh, there's, there's greater clarity. I see him more beautiful and more wonderful now than I did yesterday. That if you've been walking with Jesus for any amount of time, you've experienced little glimpses of moments like this, where you knew that about Jesus, you've read that passage before, but now you see it like this and not like that. 
Your heart is filled with awe and wonder and it explodes in worship and you breathe it in deep as if it's happening for the very first time. And that is the invitation of the author of Hebrews. You want to keep your heart from growing distant and cold toward Jesus? Consider him. Study him. Gaze upon him and allow your heart to be stirred afresh and anew. Now, there's not just the consideration component of what the author of Hebrews is getting us to do. Studying Jesus, being in awe of his character more and more, naturally invites you to also assess the competition, right? Like if Jesus is is so great, let's look at everybody else. And the author of Hebrews is writing specifically to Messianic Jews. He's writing to a, a former Jewish audience and he's saying, now think of the best human you could think of. Who's that person? Every single Jew would say, Moses, gotta be. Did you know that in the book of Exodus, Moses is described as a friend of God because he talked with him face to face. Moses, the one that had a wonderful, miraculous birth story of rescue where he fled and then came back because he was sent by God to deliver his people. And then he toppled the greatest empire known to man at the time with miraculous signs and wonders, with a staff in his hand. He did so much for his people. He split the Red Sea. He guided his people toward freedom. If anybody were to be counted as a stellar human being, it would be Moses. And so what does the author of Hebrews do? He says, well, let's, let's do a little comparison here. Let's assess the competition. Look with me in verse two. So Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses, he was faithful in all God's house. Verse three, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Why? As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. What the author of Hebrews is doing is saying, I know that I've said that Jesus is more human than you know, and I want you to pause and think about the greatest human in your history. Moses, the friend of God, let me tell you, it doesn't compare. This isn't a competition. He is far better, far greater. He is not an incomplete deliverer. He is the deliverer of all deliverers. You never have to taste slavery ever again. Here is freedom embodied in a person in Jesus. And so I say all that to say, the warning is your heart will drift from this. And and if you're sitting here and you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, you know it. You've heard something like this before. Just spend time with him, consider him. And you're gonna wake up tomorrow morning and you're gonna look at your to-do list. Your alarm's gonna go off and you're gonna realize like I've got so much to do today. When am I gonna get everything done? Am I really gonna wake up 30 minutes, an hour earlier to rub my eyes in the dark, to try to read my Bible and consider Jesus? And the words that'll be spoken over your mind, the voice that'll enter your heart is the voice of the enemy saying, ah, there's always tomorrow. There's always tomorrow. Tomorrow feels like a better day, an easier day. You're gonna sleep early tonight, you're gonna wake up early tomorrow, you're gonna do great. The things you've got to own, the things you've got to manage, the the kids you've got to go address, the the relationships that you've gotta go fix, the tasks you've gotta accomplish, who's gonna do those right now? There's always tomorrow. You see, the enemy's voice is always tomorrow, and the spirit's voice is always today. No, 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 today. If you hear his voice, 
Come near to him today. Consider him today. Allow your heart to be inspired and in awe of the one who rescued you and redeemed you, who lived and died for you and rose again. Will you just allow your heart to be in awe of him? Consider him today. You see, that is the Spirit's voice. Will you listen? Will you hear it? Because if you don't, the danger is that there will be days that turn into weeks and weeks that turn into months and months that even can turn into years where you can't remember the last time your heart was emotionally unhinged because of your affection for Jesus. Right, like, pause, think about that right now. Christian in the room, when is the last time that you didn't, you didn't know what was happening internally but you love Jesus? Even saying his name makes your heart flutter. When is the last time that the one who loved you enough to die for you made you feel emotional about him? If it's been days or weeks or months or years, is it the simple fact that you have not listened to the Spirit's voice to say, no, 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 today, right now, consider him. He's far better than whatever you could think about doing today. Or have you been listening to the voice of Satan saying, no, no, there's always tomorrow. So as we continue to hear the Spirit's voice together this morning, the first step that we have to submit to, be thrust into in his invitation is consider him, but the second is to cling to him, to cling to him. Look in the text with me in verse six. The second part of verse six says, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Later on in verse 14, it says a very similar thing, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold or hold fast our original confidence firm to the end. So after we consider him and allow that to hopefully warm our hearts, to draw closer to Jesus just to be in awe of him, the second step is to actually hold fast, to cling to him. This word hold fast is a phrase in the original language that literally means to press down as if something is trying to escape beneath your hands. I don't know if you ever tried this, like a, like a beach ball in a pool, like if you try to like hold it down underneath the water, it's really hard. Because its design is to not be underwater. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying, that's what your hope is like. Your hope is trying to run away. It's trying to escape. Will you hold it down? Will you hold fast? Will you cling on? You see, holding fast is not a matter of brute strength. It's not about how strong your spiritual muscles are. It's actually about endurance. Did you hear in the, phrase, in the, in the verse? It's about f- holding firm to the end. It's a strength that can endure, persevere. And so I love the fact that the author of Hebrews understands that you simply, right there in this room, you're not strong enough to hold your hope Internally, you're not, you're not strong enough to hold fast through and through. But he gives us a recipe to actually consider how to do this effectively. He says in verse six, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting. Now you might hear those words and think, that sounds like the same two things. Sound like synonyms. And, and they're related, but they're distinct in this way. Confidence is the internal reality. Your confidence is the voice inside your head that says, you got this. You can do it. Keep on going. Right, that's like the, the confidence to actually enter a space and be like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this happen today. Boasting is the external reality. 
Boasting is to actually say it out loud so that other people can hear you and that your own ears can hear your voice. Say, no, 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 you got this. We're gonna fight through. It's whatever external sound you need to rehearse over your own ears to say, I got this. And I can't help but, this reminds me of an illustration that, that many of you may not be able to relate to, but my wife and I have recently been watching a Netflix show called Physical 100. You're watching it, um, <laughs> which is great. Physical, Physical 100, it's, it's like a, it's a Korean game show on Netflix that is essentially like Hunger Games without any, without any killing. And it's like, we're gonna find out who the, who the strongest person is. And so they've invited all these people with like incredible physiques and backgrounds, right? They're, there are bodybuilders and wrestlers and Olympians, and it's like, okay, who, out of all you hundred people, who's the strongest? Let's find out. And so I, at first, I was a little reticent. I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna like this show. I don't really like you know, game shows and reality shows, but I'm hooked. My wife's got me hooked on this. And what I love most is, I love like the little moments where they get to peer into how people are thinking and you know, experiencing a moment. They do all these little interviews with the, with the contestants. And the first challenge was, we're gonna eliminate half of you. 50 of you will be gone in a moment. And it's, you, you literally climb up on like a rafter, they raise to the ceiling, and then just water beneath you. And we're gonna see who holds on for the longest. And uh, I, yeah, just like hang there, hold on for dear life. And I love that in those moments, they're interviewing all the contestants and getting into the minds of these really strong human beings. And you can see it, like when, when someone's face is like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna win this thing. <laughs> like, zooms into the interview of that person in, like the, in the black room and it's like, hey, what were you thinking right there? And it's like, oh, I was thinking like, I'm the strongest human being alive, I got this. Mm-hmm. And then like, they would go back to the person and be, they would make like a, an audible like, grunt of like, mm, I got this. And it's like, yeah, I think you do. I believe in you. And then they would like, show other people over the course of like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and you see it in their face, like they're, they're struggling, you know? And, it's, uh, and then they interview those people. It's like, yeah, in that moment, I couldn't feel my arms. And that's all I could think about. And all I could think about was the fact that like, I met that person walking in that's really, really strong, they're probably stronger than me. And then they like zoom to that person up on the rafters and you just see them like grimacing and they're like, oh, this really hurts. All of a sudden, they're complaining about their physical pain. And it's in that moment that they drop into the water and you just know based on based on the internal dialogue in their head and then the external complaints of their mouths, game over, you're done. And I feel as though that that is, that's what's true of us. The, the moment that your internal voice isn't, come on, one day at a time, we got this. But rather, it's only about the concerns of your life. It's only about all the things that you're worried about. It's only about the arms you can't feel. It's about the pain in your back and and then all of a sudden, no more boasting about the hope you have in Jesus, but only complaining. Why does that person have it so easy compared to me? Why is my life so hard? Why hasn't God answered that prayer? It's been, it's been years. In that space, if we were to look at our lives as, as a game show, we would say, oh man, I think game's about to be over for that person. When your confidence turns to concern and your boasting turns to complaining, that's why the author of Hebrews is saying, don't let that happen. Cling, cling to this hope. Keep that ball underwater. Keep pressing, keep holding on. It's a race of endurance, not of brute strength. 
But to be honest, if we assess our situations, right, you think about your own season, maybe your season right now, your season of, of hardship or of doubt, of uncertainty or anxiety, what does it look like for you to do this well? When all the thoughts in your head are concerns and all the words from your mouth are complaints, what do you do? How, how do you trust God when your circumstances are dire? And I'm here to tell you that I'm not trying to say it's not hard work, it's hard work. Your spiritual muscles will be quaking, they'll be trembling in seasons of your life, maybe the season that you're in now. But I need you to understand this, that the voice of Satan is whispering into your ear, yeah, this is really hard. You really gonna make it tomorrow too? What about the next day and the next day? Sure, you might grit it out today, but what about tomorrow? Who's looking out for you tomorrow when your energy's out, when your resolve is kaput? You see, that's the voice of Satan. It's always tomorrow. Worry about tomorrow. Do it tomorrow. And the voice of the Spirit is trying to gently and yet persistently whisper in your ear, he's tending to you today. He's got enough strength for you today. Let him worry about tomorrow. You worry about just having strength enough for today. God's got you. He's tending to you today. Is that not the, the totality of the scriptures? It's stop worrying so much about tomorrow. God's got you today. And yet we can't help but listen to the enemy's voice saying, oh no, what about my tomorrow? So church, are you discouraged this morning? If you look at the track record of how you've responded to your early mornings, never considering him for days and weeks and months on end or, or, or getting to the space in the moment where all of your external dialogue is complaints because your internal dialogue is only concerns and you're, you're doubting all together whether God is really God and your hope is really steadfast and your faith is something that you can actually cling to. If you are there in that space, I need you to know this morning, God sees you. God sees you and he's not disappointed in you. He actually loves you most right now. Like right now in this moment, he loves you most. And I love that the author of Hebrews knows that and doesn't stop right there because if I were to pause and just say, how well do I do considering Jesus every day like an astronomer, just exploring the depths of his character and being in awe of him, it's not that great. That track record is not pristine. And when I think about the hard seasons of my life, did I cling to him? Did I hold fast and hold firm? Every step of the way, the answer is simply no. But I love that there is another invitation of the Spirit for us to hear today. And that is to take care. Take care. Look with me in verse 12 of Hebrews 3. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Guess what you, with a, with a terrible track record of doing these things well that Hebrews 3 is inviting you to, hey, you're in good company because a person sitting next to you and across the room from you also has a terrible track record too. And so what is the invitation? What, what, what can we actually glean from this? What do we do in response if we can't do it on our own? And the answer is you were never meant to do it on your own. You were never meant to do it on your own. The, word, the phrase for take care is different than the word for consider. So consider is to study and I'm gonna be an explorer and I'm gonna really know this from top to bottom. To take care is to be watchful with a protective instinct for others. It's a different sort of observation. You are now looking around in your life for people who you need to be close to. 
you are looking at individuals, especially other Christians in the room, to say, how can I take care of them? How can I be watchful for them? And so what is the specific action we're called to? It's to exhort one another. I love this word. It's a really dynamic word. To exhort someone is to encourage them. To say, hey, I see this in you. I don't know if you've, you've recognized that God is really changing you. And I see it in these ways. It's also to correct somebody. It's to say, hey, I've seen you going this direction. I love you too much to let you keep doing that. I think it's hurting you and the people around you. To exhort someone is to just simply be present in their time of sadness, to hug them when they just need a hug. It's to let them know, literally in the original language, that you are drawing near to them in whatever way that needs to happen. And so the question I have seven more is, are you taking care of each other? Are you concerned about being protective for those around you? Do you exhort one another day by day as long as it is called today? You see, if we are sharers in Christ, if we are partakers of his heavenly call to be sent and to help mediate, don't you see that this is what we're supposed to be about? This is, this is our mode. This is our disposition wherever we go that, oh, there's another Christian. What can I do to exhort them? Because it's called today. Oh, what day is it? Oh, it's today. I should exhort you today. That's the invitation of Hebrews 3. Do we take it that seriously? Because again, all the, all the wonderful quiet times put together in like a bundle for you and all the moments where like you were spiritually really strong and you endured through hard things, let me tell you that isn't enough to keep your drifting heart from growing distant and cold to God. It's not enough. It wasn't designed to be enough. The truth of the matter is that you need me and I need you and you need him over there and her over there. Like that, that's how this was meant to be. It reminds me of the story of Moses, in fact, back in Exodus 17 where he's praying for his people that are in a battle. And this is a really impressionable people, right? They've just been freed from slavery. God is speaking to Moses face to face, giving them rules and laws and directions. The people are figuring out as they go who this God is and how they interact with him. Moses gets up on a mountain, he's looking down at a battle, and he lifts up his hands and he prays. Whenever his hands are raised, the boys are winning, right? Like that, that's, that's what the story says, they're winning. The moment he's so tired and his hands fall down, they start losing. So what happens in that space when you're just too weary to keep going, to keep praying? Two individuals walk up right next to him and just hold his hands up for him, and then the victory is won. You see, can you imagine for like an impressionable people who are down on the other side of the mountain anxiously waiting to see if our God will actually secure us victory? Will he actually give us freedom from our enemies here now that we're away from our enemies back there? And the answer is, yeah, you just gotta keep praying. And when you can't do it yourself, when you grow too weary, when your heart is too cold, you need people to keep your arms up. And so the question is begged, seven mile road, do you know that you need help? And do you know it so deeply that you help those around you keep their arms raised? And I need to say that this is personal for me because over a year ago, my, my son was in the NICU for 44 days. And it was like the, of all the, the seasons and trials of my life, I'd never experienced this lengthy of a season, this degree of God, where are you? 
where all of a sudden my prayers are really short and succinct and they're repetitive. They're, they're, God help me today. Like, I don't believe you today. I don't hear you today. All I hear is the beeping of hospital beds over and over and over again. And, and my son is, is regressing and not progressing today. Where are you today? And that was the cadence of my conversations with the Lord for weeks. And it was there in that space. Like, I, there, there are moments that are impressed in my mind and in my heart that I will never, ever forget. Day one, we go to the hospital after he's only been home for a few hours. They're trying to read his glucose levels. They can't because they're zero. And there in that space, Kevin Tian, who's part of our community who works there, dropped everything he probably had to be doing, and he was there when my wife was the only person that could walk in because there's only one adult allowed at a time. And when we changed places, and I was looking at my child on a bed, looking almost lifeless, I couldn't stand up. My body couldn't, didn't have the strength to keep standing. And hunched over on a chair, he just put his hand on my back and just kept it there. Maybe for an hour. He just sat next to me for a long, long time. And that was his exhortation for me. Just a hand on a back to say, I'm here to support you. That's it. That's all I got. Later on, I would receive a call from Preston and Bethany Sauer, who their child also spent a lot of time in this space of the hospital. All they did was listen and wait for me to say something. And then we met out here on that lawn while my son was still in the hospital and they both just walked up to me with tears in their eyes and they just hugged me. And we hugged for like a long time. <laughs> you know when you like see people hug and there's like tears in their eyes, you're just like, that's a really long time to be hugging. Uh, and you just kind of walk on, like you briskly go away because something is awkward over there. And it, it was that sort of awkwardly long hug. Nothing was said. But that was their exhortation for me. A hug that just lasted a little too long for everybody else's comfort, but a hug of compassion and of sympathy. And that's what I needed in that moment. It's another moment right out here in this grass patch there where Verdi and Emily Howard, these two sweet little girls, come up with their mom, Trudy, and they come up to tell me on a day where my son is going the wrong direction of, of regressing in the hospital, and they told me, hey, we're praying for Elijah every day and we're convinced he's gonna come home soon. And I'm staring at them trying to like not confess to like two little children of like, I don't believe that. <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> Prove it. Um, because there in that space, my prayers were hopeless and yet I saw two little children with such hope-filled prayers tell me, yeah, we're praying for you. And that was their exhortation for me. And so it's, it, it doesn't have to be some grandiose statement. It doesn't have to be some pristine, like beautiful, miraculous word. Like God didn't have to give you a vision in the night. He might, but all it might be is a hand on a back to say, I'm with you. It's a hug that lasts a little too long to say, I'm for you. It's words of prayers to say, I still hope in our God together, just so that in case you don't have the hope today, that's all it requires sometimes. And so will you, Seven Mile Road, take care of each other? Because the enemy's voice is consistently gonna say, not right now, they're in a tough spot. Maybe tomorrow. You're really gonna say that hard thing to them right now? Don't do it. Maybe in a week from now they'll be ready. You see, the, the whisper of Satan is, not today, but tomorrow. And the Holy Spirit is beckoning you close to say, no, 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 not tomorrow, today. Today. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians 6 that says, uh, now is the day for salvation. Today is the day for salvation. Not tomorrow, not some distant time in the future. 
And so I know that I have been speaking to Christians in the room for this entire time. Uh, I wanna speak to you in the room today if you are, if you are not walking with Jesus and, you, and you're here this morning and you're still wading through, like, what? I don't know exactly what this means. I don't know if I truly or fully believe, but I kinda like the way that, I kinda like the way that people who love Jesus love other people. And I kinda like the way that Jesus took on flesh to come pursue me and chase after me. I actually appreciate the fact that his words are piercing and they speak to me in ways that other people's words don't. I'm actually amazed by the fact that, that if he is real, that if it is true, that he would live the perfect life and still be willing to die for a, a, an imperfect person like me. I'm kind of in awe of the fact that if, if it's true that he rose from the grave so that sin and Satan and death will be placed in the tomb instead, that I would never have to experience those things to their full effect anymore. If that is real, if that is true, I'm amazed by that. If that is you today, I need you to hear this invitation. Not tomorrow, not sometime in the future. Today is the day of salvation. Will you place your trust in him today? He's waiting for you. He's crazy about you. Don't make it tomorrow, make it today. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Well, Holy Spirit, I, I hope that we have heard your voice and I am amazed even now, God, that, that you work in ways that are mysterious and amazing. You're working in hearts that, that we couldn't do our best to construe or to manipulate. And so God, I thank you that you are that sort of God. Jesus, I thank you that you are simply better. There is none like you in all the world. There never will be. Jesus, you are magnificent. You are worthy of such worship. And I confess, God, that I am prone to allow days and even weeks to go by where I just simply don't consider you like I ought. And so God, I, I just pray that my heart will be moved that our hearts would be stirred, to not allow it to do what it's wanting to do, what it's almost designed to do, to just drift more distant and cold, but rather, God, that we would actually be warmed and drawn near to the heart of our King, of our Savior, of the lover of our souls. Jesus, please help us draw near today. Help us be warmed by your presence. Remind us of what it means to be yours. It's in your precious name we pray, amen.